front of mind people. When I say people, labor, talent, succession, not to go too far, and culture. People want to work for a company of which they're proud. So we better have a proud company that people are proud to work for. Second, just the global economy. I think you're going to probably ask further questions on that. We can go in a lot of different directions, of course, supply chain, inflation, recession. And then I'd say the third is an opportunity as well as a threat if we don't act well and with speed is sustainability in our industry. I think we have a good story to tell and more to do and more to tell and have a clear vision and make it happen. So I'd say those are top three, top of mind. If there's one thing that we agree 100% is, is the challenges of the, the labor environment and yes, the, the economy. When we talked about the, the economy, I would also add what's going on in the world. We, everybody talks about Ukraine, but there's also other parts of the world where there's different things that are happening in China. The, there's, the, the president has been reelected. There's a lot of discussion on what and what direction is going to go. And China today is over 40% of the, uh, what we do in packaging. When you look at the world consumption production, it's there. So imagine if something happens like one or two or 3%, it has a major impact overall. The world is global and it's becoming more and more global. But what's happening right now is maybe we need to look a bit more what we can do here also to protect ourselves from what's going on in the rest of the planet. Welcome to Breaking Down Boxes. I'm Gene Marino with Acres Packaging. And I'm Joe Morelli with Houston Patterson and Lewisburg Printing Company. We have compelling conversations with successful entrepreneurs in the packaging space. Yeah, Gene, I think I can speak for you in saying that, you know, how super excited we are to be here at the AICC and CCCA Canada Tabletop in Toronto, Ontario. What a cool venue we're in today. Don Duplantis did an incredible job setting this up. I mean, one, if you haven't been to Toronto, what a beautiful city. But secondly, this original exchange building is something special and really awesome venue to be hosting an event. So good to Don Duplantis for this and thanks for inviting us up here. I think before we get started, I don't know, maybe I'm stealing somebody's thunder, but Don, you guys have put on a great show today. So you, can you guys, yeah. guys, please yeah. give a round of applause. I want to thank Oxbox for sponsoring this episode. I think the two of us had a great time with Guy and Eric. They fully admit they're not everything to everybody and they have a really specific business model. Yeah, I, I think this will be a throwback for the young kids that love to enjoy our podcast. But there was a, a movie called City Slickers with Billy Crystal and Jack Palance. And there's a moment in the movie where they're riding horses and Jack Palance's character, Curly, offers some advice about, uh, do you know what the secret of life is? It's one thing, just one thing. You stick to that and the rest don't mean shit. Well, that's the guiding principle at Oxbox. That's how they provide best-in-class, heavy-duty packaging with outstanding service. If you're looking for heavy-duty or jumbo box manufacturing, they're the ones to call. Oxbox is strength you can depend on. Check them out at www.oxbox.com. Now, back to the show. I sit here in a little bit of shock just because, number one, somebody was dumb enough to give Gene and I a podcast. That's Surprise. number one why I'm in shock, right? Number two, people actually listen to it. We set forth this in January with the goal of having two listeners, not our wives, my mom and Gene's mom. And we've surpassed that successfully. I found out this morning, Gene, that in Canada, 
we are in the top 1% of all downloaded podcasts, which is pretty amazing, right? For just two guys doing this for fun. Here's the most shocking stat that I think is pretty funny. Apparently in the Czech Republic, we are pretty hot stuff. We cracked the top 10 of all business podcasts in the country of Czech Republic. So that's pretty wildly comical to the two of us. So anyway, we're here. We're super excited, but in all seriousness, we're breaking down boxes. We have these conversations with some of the industry's best that opens up conversation about all aspects of life, not just business. And some of the things that have come out of it are are pretty incredible. So definitely like, subscribe, listen to these things on your commute to work when you get time. Absolutely. I'm also glad to be here. Thank you for hosting us. And I think what we're finding to be such a surprise is many of the stories, the challenges, the dynamics in these entrepreneurial businesses are the same across the industry. Some of it is what Darren talked about in his presentation, just the family dynamic of how many of our early generations say, if I can tell myself as a young self, what would be my advice? Patience. The older generation always says that to the young kids, just be patient. It cracks us up because we just look at the dynamic when we were young and in this business, and I'm sure you guys could attest, we didn't know shit, but we were making decisions every day regardless. (laughs) So I think you got to open that. Aren't aren't we still young? We are. I think so. We are. (laughs) Legends. That's a whole nother cast. So we'll get there. We'll get there. We're really excited about our interviews today. First, because it's a change from what we normally do. We're going to be recording in front of a live audience. So I guess, Gene, good luck to us on that. But it should be a lot of fun. And secondly, what we're most looking forward to is getting a chance to sit down with two legends in the industry that are really special people, big time people, two people that are incredibly smart. We have Mike LaFay from Kruger and Charles Mello from Cascades, who obviously are huge companies up here in Canada, but not just here in North America as well. We're going to touch on a bunch of different hot button topics that are relevant in today's landscape, and we're super excited to sit down with them. I think what we're shooting for today is just a kind of a give and take conversation with Mike and Charles. There's obviously a wonderful write-up of the two of them in the guide at your table. So I'm not going to butcher any of that with a reintroduction. But I think what we're trying to do here is take a macro view of some of the challenges. Obviously, when Don talked to Joe and me about doing this, the list changed dramatically over the course of about six months. And just in, in conversations with Charles and Mike, some of that has developed, evolved. And so we're hoping to just Again, stay macro, really examine challenges, opportunities, and then some things that uh, they're doing to mitigate those risks. And then we'll just have a little bit of fun and make sure everybody gets to the bar at three bells. Mike LaFave, Kruger. First off, thanks very much for having us. Charles, pleasure being up here with you. Just a few words about me. I've been with Kruger for, this is my 24th year, different roles, responsibilities, and I've had the pleasure to lead the packaging business it'll coming up on 10 years in May. It's been a lot of fun, great industry, great people, great legacy, and great opportunity to learn from a lot of different people. So those around the room that have taught me a lot, please keep on teaching because I've got a lot more to learn. A little bit about Kruger, Kruger family enterprise, large family enterprise. We're in our uh, second century, little fast fact about Kruger. So we were founded in 1904 by the uh, grandfather of our cur- current chairman and CEO, Joseph Kruger. And not long after, in 2000, I think it was 2005, we came up with a book. The the title of the book was Kruger, The First 100 Years. And it resonated with me as an employee at a a patriarchal family enterprise in its third generation, that the conversations in the organization, they're not really about last month, next month, 
but they're about what's going on for the next generation. So that really resonated with me. And Kruger, continually diversifying forest products company, big in tissue. Charles and I have similar organizations that we're going to speak to. So the uh, tissue business, brands like Cashmere, White Cloud in the U.S., Scotty's, Sponge Towels, pretty large, largest branded tissue player in Canada. We have a pulp and paper business that just expanded after contraction, managing capacity. I can talk about that in this room. On the uh, publication paper side, shut a lot of assets down over the years as how many people here are reading newsprint, newspapers or how many of your kids are every day? Not enough. So we've expanded and grown that business into other products, into label backing, as well as other diversified products. And we just recently acquired a scaled pulp mill in Kamloops, BC. And then we have renewable energy business, which is going to dovetail into a future conversation today. Renewable energy scaled. We have three wind farms, 28 hydroelectric facilities, and now we're getting into solar as well. And that's exciting times in that business, pretty stable. And then we just actually divested of a wines and spirits business that was really non-core to the future growth and future strategy of the company. And last but not least, the packaging business. So we have a growth strategy continue to grow. We have a 100% recycled liner board asset in Trois-Rivières, lightweight, high-strength packaging solutions. There's my product <laughs> placement coming to your, your shop floor soon, <laughs> we hope, as well as a, a newsprint machine there. And then we have a 100% recycled white top liner board and paperboard products, again, all 100% recycled. So those are our two mills located in Quebec. We have a box plant in Quebec in LaSalle, another in Toronto, and we're just started up a uh, big scale, highly automated box plant in uh, just south of Louisville, Kentucky. I have an exceptionally lovely and compassionate, kind wife who lets me That's do what I want. Yeah. It's the best part. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta, gotta roll that sure. in there. Just following that to set the table for us a little bit. What would you say is top three opportunities and challenges maybe over the next 18 to 24 months as a business that are front of mind? Sure. Front of mind people. When I say people, labor, talent, succession, not to go too far, and culture. People want to work for a company of which they're proud. So we better have a proud company that people are proud to work for. Second, just the global economy. I think you're going to probably ask further questions on that. We can go in a lot of different directions, of course, supply chain, inflation, recession. And then I'd say the third is an opportunity as well as a threat if we don't act well and with speed is sustainability in our industry. I think we have a good story to tell and more to do and more to tell and have a clear vision and make it happen. So I'd say those are top three, top of mind. That's great. Thank you. Charles. So that was a short version. We asked him to keep it quick. <laughs> he said he had 20 minutes on himself. He came close. Just on me, for sure. <laughs> um, yes. First of all, thank you for putting that venue together. It's, it's a really good day. Talking a bit about myself, 32 years in this, uh, this industry in Cascade. Uh, though that over the years, I've done many things uh, in the company. I had the luxury to work for Cascade. That uh, company started in 1964. Three brothers the Lemaire brothers that started the company, they still own about 30% of the stock of the company because now it's a publicly traded company. But like Kruger, I would say that Cascade is still family-run company. So we, values are very important for, for us. The culture is very strong. I see some of my colleagues sitting in the room. Some of the people that used to work for us also are working for Mike, for instance. But the culture and the people is very important. That's how 
the brothers started the company. Just maybe one thing that distinguished our company from maybe other companies. When Bernard Lemaire started the company, he wanted all employees to share in the in the profit of the company. And still today, about 10% of what we generate, we share with with all employees at all levels in the company. And this is something very important for, for us. Company started as the three brothers were recyclers. So they used to go and collect garbage. That's how they started the company. Then after that, they saw that the what they were finding at the sorting sites uh, could be used to do other stuff. So recycling, recoup, and reuse for us is very key. So basically, Cascade uh, was green before green started to be to be very popular. So myself, I found the company 32 years ago. I'm still there. I'm a father of two wonderful daughters and married for the last 30 years, so still with my wife. And one thing that we have in common also, my kids, my wife and I, is to find the balance between, yes, the work, but also the family life and being able to, to spend some time together. Maybe one thing I would add on my myself is I've been passionate about this industry for the last 32 years, still today. And I'm still amazed when I see young kids, designers, finding different ways, doing different things things with our product. There's not too many product that can be used, first of all, eco-friendly, that is 100% customizable to do multi-packaging solution. And again, it, it's reusable and it's good for the environment. That's why I'm still passionate about this service industry. And on Cascadia, you can just go on the website and you'll see everything <laughs> of what we do. Do you have anything that you would like to add to the list of most relevant topics to you? We've talked about that just before the meeting. And, and really, if there's one thing that we agree 100% is, is the challenges of the, the labor environment. And yes, the, the economy. When we talked about the, the economy, I would also add what's going on in the world. We, everybody talks about Ukraine, but there's also other parts of the world where there's different things that are happening in China. The, there's, the, the president has been reelected. There's a lot of discussion on what and what direction is going to go. And China today is over 40% of the, uh, what we do in packaging. When you look at the world consumption production, it's there. So imagine if something happens like one or two or 3%, it has a major impact overall. The world is global and it's becoming more and more global. But what's, going, what's happening right now is maybe we need to look at maybe looking a bit more what we can do here also to protect ourselves from what's going on in the rest of the planet. I think it's just a quick thank you for the young kids comment for Joe and me. We really appreciate that. We, we don't hear that much anymore. So thank you, Charles. Maybe a little bit more micro. So with kind of the global impacts, what's going on, a little bit of the unknown, unpredictability, how do you mitigate return on invested capital with respect to equipment purchases and investing in your plants, given the current environment? Is it still, because we're asset heavy, it's still important? Or is there a little more diligence that goes into it? How do you, I don't know which one you want to uh, hit that first, but what's we'll your perspective on that? Sure. It's, there's always challenges that come up, right? And we're de definitely dealing with serious challenge with inflation, global supply chain issues. You get, if you get creative. So historically at Kruger, we're, we're very cost conscious, operational efficiency. You can take Cost out by producing more with the same, so waste reduction. Invest in the right technology based on the overall context of what your challenges are. So as an example, if you look at what's going on, starch, Russia, the Ukraine, Canada, top three exporters of, of, of wheat in the world. So what's going on in the Ukraine? We talked about it at breakfast this morning. We talk about 
the impact on our business and what I said at breakfast is, but bombs aren't dropping on our families. So we're living in what we live every day and they're living in a situation much more devastating. But our rule is to maximize return and to employ as many people as possible to keep that engine rolling. So what we did, we have to get creative. Like when we're looking at how do we build compression strength in our paper, we have options. We have different chemical additives. We've got starch. We've got refining, we have the fiber basket that we're using. So it's always having to be agile, sufficiently agile to know what your levers you can pull and when to pull them. And again, you get creative when you have to comment about don't get complacent. It's a trap. Complacency is a trap. Good enough is never good enough. I have a executive coach who says, preaches and a few of us at Kruger are using it. Good is the enemy of great. So a, a complacency is a trap you can fall into. And we, part of my job is to make sure that I don't and that my team doesn't. So I'd say creative because there are always opportunities when you have challenges. So just find them. Yeah. So if I hear you right, what I'm taking away from it as well is this dynamic of if it's good for the business and, and the math work, you can't be held up by what the rate might be if it's going to improve your business and allow you to be agile. Yeah, exactly. You have to look at the, again, the long term. Yes. Yep. For there to be a long-term, there has to be a short and medium <laughs> term. So we always take that into consideration. What are our options? What is the impact? We don't want to destroy our brand in any manner, so we're not going to go there. We have a product. We have a value proposition. We're going to stick to it. So it's finding ways and means, creative ways and means, leveraging technology, leveraging people's innovation. And a lot of great ideas come from the hourly worker who is feeding the pulpit. Sure. Great ideas are agnostic to title. Yeah. So you better be agnostic to title. And we try to nurture that as part of our culture and our value proposition that we offer to our employees. One of my, one of my favorite sayings that, that I like to use a lot is people closest to the sun get the best hand. So it's, those are the people you have to go to for the suggestions really help keep your business moving forward. I like that. Charles, just the inflationary pressures and some of the things we're seeing. And also, Mike also made a great comment about we've the supply chain dynamic and disruptions become blase. It's now I'm. I've had it around me for so long. I just say to myself, oh, of course it's the supply chain, but is this just the new normal? Is there the whole conversation of the pig and the Python? What a year ago, this is a really big pig because it doesn't seem to be through the snake yet. Is this a new reality? It's certainly going to be different. Some things are going to come back maybe more to what we consider as being normal, but there are a few things that are going to stay the way they are and probably not going to resolve by, uh, by themselves. So we talk about first the labor and everywhere we go, we talked about labor uh, challenges, but I like to take that on the other way is it's, it's an opportunity. The last few years uh, have taught us that we can do things differently. Yes, we all work from home and behind the screen and, uh, but we all learned also that we can do a lot of things without traveling. Uh, without having to gather everybody in one room, being able to pick people from different places quicker. So it has the goods and also the, uh, the bads. And I think that the situation right now, yes, there's some inflation, but it's a wake up call also for everybody. Yes, we need to use innovation to develop new, uh, new technique, new, new way of doing things, doing more with less. So this is good for our team to work together in finding new ways. We talked about the transportation and Mike, I 100% agree with you that first we've been lazy about how we use transport for years. 
the first of all, it's not good for the environment. We're leaving gas on, on the air too much for what we do. So we've learned in the last two years to become more efficient working with a transportation company, but also investing a bit more on planning. So knowing in advance what we're going to do. So it's the same thing with wh where we're going to put our money, how we're going to transport our goods, being closer to our customers. So understanding more what they do so we can become more efficient. So this is uh, for us, uh, the inflation is going to resolve by itself to more normal and it's already happening. But the cost of energy, the labor is going to be a challenge for the, for the future. And the reality about the environment to me is the key things that we have to take care of. Because if we keep doing the same thing that we do today, we're not saving the planet at all. And we'll keep doing worse and worse. And we're going to talk a bit more about that, but this is to me the most important thing, short, mid and long term that we have to do things differently if we want to have an impact. I hear you guys uh, more than once mention personality or people hiring. Can you guys talk a little bit about the labor shortage that we're seeing in the States? Obviously, it's a huge issue. We had the fortunate ability to interview somebody and I was super excited to hear his opinion on it. And he leaned in real close to me and I, when I asked him what the solution was for him and he just whispered, pay more. It can't be that simple. <laughs> no, so can you guys not... maybe touch a little bit upon the labor shortage and what you guys see coming yeah. down? Yeah, Mike is dead on accurate. Montreal is very challenging labor market, definitely undersupplied. And when you're running 24-6 operation, shift work, people aren't interested in shift work. The long haul truckers aren't interested in being long haul truckers. Why? Because... People have learned a lot during COVID about what's important and what's more and more important is family and the people you love and they're willing to sacrifice cash to spend time with their family. And it's the shift work is exceptionally challenging to hire people for. Not to go too public, but I'm going to say it. We hired 110 people for one of our operations in Quebec where we had 200 employees, 110. We would interview 12 candidates, six would show up after they were hired, three would leave at lunch yeah. and Great. one would stay. So the turnover is exceptional. And we think we have a good, we have a competitive wage. It's not a wonderful work environment. Let's be honest, a lot of repetitive tasks. So we have to do more in terms of culture, show that we value them and not just show them, value them in different ways and talk about our family. We have a great opportunity as family businesses. Let's show our family values, not just show them, we can live them. I think that can be a definite difference maker, but you're never bigger. I would say you're never bigger than the market. You're never bigger than the market in terms of labor either. We're always going to be challenged. And, and I think that's going to be a challenge that we'll have to deal with for a number of years. That, the thing that surprises me, and this, this is a, a U.S. view, is there's only so many free t-shirts and lunches you can buy the plant workers. So how do we, how do we begin to shift that gear two into more robotics? And are we stuck on our own kind of four walls? How do we start to push the envelope a little bit and come up with new ways to make the, the environment a little more enjoyable, especially in the middle of the summer when it's 95 degrees? So I agree hundred percent, by the way, on the fact that I'm going to just maybe add a bit on what Mike uh, talked about. The same thing, we have the same reality as everybody here in this room. And this is not only at the plant level, but at all level of the organization. So first we have to better understand 
the new reality and the people that are going to join the organization in the future. So this is for the long term, because if you understand what drives people, it will help us also create a better working environment for them where they see a better. So it could be culture because pay lasts for a week. This is something that, yes, it helps everybody works and are expecting to be paid competitively, but that doesn't last. The culture of the company, uh, the environment, safe workplace, very important. But it's more than that also is the jobs that we have, traditional jobs, working 24 hours on shifts, weekends. In time, it will disappear. People here in North America, and this is all over the place in the States, same thing in Canada, it's fading away. So we have to do things differently and we're probably going to have to use more equipment, more automation. This is something that we've started in this industry 10 years ago. There were about 30% more plants that there is today corrugated facility and we do more volume so basically it, it, it already started years ago where we do more by investing in technology with our suppliers to find solution for that and we're going to have to accelerate that in the future i really like your uh, presentation when you talked about create the environment where drivers are feel accepted when they come to in our plants we call that the hilton so we have now have when they come to our facility, we've invested in money over the last years where when they come in and they have to wait, so they have a space. And in the past, I was in the corner and then no access to washroom. Nobody wanted to go there. Now they come in and they have access to Wi-Fi. They have a place where they can sit down. It's clean. And we're doing that more and more. So we're investing to create in that environment. But this is good for drivers and it's good also for employees. Yes, we're going to have to put some air conditioning in our plants at one point to create a better environment, places where it's really warm during the summertime. So all of these things is don't look only at the salary because it's not going to work. It's important, but it's the overall that needs to, to be adapted. I think just to add quickly, people want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. They want to feel a part and not again, seriously, what is my role? What do we do here? What's it all about? These storytellers need to know what is it all about? Is it all about making a box or being a part of a team that helps the supply chain? It helps deliver, hopefully Kruger toilet paper, some cascade tea to their local store and you got to find it and just be relentless in understanding, like you said, the differences. Uh, people say the young people want work-life balance. No shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's interesting too is it, it's such a simplistic concept. We just talk about it. We do a newsletter and we do this in the facility, but are you really communicating? You know, it, when they talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the bottom is belonging. And so we're like, what do you mean? I say hi to them every morning when I walk in, but do you really know them? Do you really connect? It's a lot easier for us to do that in smaller businesses than obviously the size and scope of what you two operate within. But, but we shouldn't hide behind that. No, that's true. But your ability to push that message yeah. through the organization, it, it helps people feel like they're part of something uh, bigger. Some of the things that we hear constantly from people who have smaller businesses, independently owned businesses, are the real life inflationary issues that the common employee is facing. It's $800 more per month to live in the States right now than it was a year ago. Yes. Yeah, we have to give a bump in wages, but how else can we as owners of these companies really lessen the burden for these employees that are helping us all be successful. Well, again, it's a question for us to be able to find a solution. So I'm going to give you an example. The last month and a half or two months, we've been talking in Cascade of how can we bring our employees back to the office? I'm sure 
there's a lot of people here going to the same thing. So pre-COVID, we had a close to 300 people working in the building where I work. Just before COVID, we had to enlarge parking lot and find ways of people to maximize the space and things like that. And, and this is not a plan. This is a logistic. And today, about 275 people are on the payroll. On average today, we have about 60 people that are working in the office. So when you talk about what we can do to help people, then I'm trying to bring people back to the office, gas, transportation, things like that. What we need to do now is I can help them maybe working differently, coming to the office maybe once a week when there's really an important meeting, something like that. Then I can help them maybe to minimize the impact of the gas or things like that. So this is now where we need, what we need to do in order to help people because the inflation is there. And yes, the salary has increased over the last few years, but people are losing their available amount of money that they can spend. We need to find different ways of doing that. And all the small things that we can do are going to make a difference. And I, and I think that'll play a part in retention as well, because if you're on teams meetings, yeah, you're connected. But when you're having lunch, yeah. you're connecting on another level. And one of the things that we've done is at our Kruger Inc. corporate office, again, it's about the same, same number of employees pre-COVID, but the same number that are coming in each day. We don't invest in nice offices. We invest in nice facilities. We've made it a nicer place to work, like chill zones. We have a great cafeteria where the employees, they don't pay. We started for, I think, two months. They still don't pay year and a half later. Little things like that, I think can make a difference, but bringing in people, I try to bring my team in every Thursday, just so we're together. But the new realities we've also learned, you don't have to be there like you used to. And that's a great element of COVID. You can work remote if you're a support staff or a typical office staff. Doesn't change the other challenges then. Okay. So what about me, a, an hourly employee, it's different rules and people, oh, no, no, we're one company, yeah, we're one company, but we do have different rules because we have different needs for different rules. And that's a conversation that a lot of people don't like to have, but we're having to have it. It's interesting in that I think as an industry, as a collective, we, we've survived and grown and thrived off of tribal knowledge, the operator, the expert that's run this asset all the way into the office. And I think the dynamic and the challenge, I think you've, you've both alluded to how you're dealing with it is this knowledge transfer and spontaneous solutions solving, which is part of the educational process. I guess from a succession standpoint, it, do you have concerns about the next 10 years? And I look at our business and I used to say, oh, look at all these guys with gray hair. Now I have the gray hair too. And I'm, I was like, when did this mm -hmm. happen? There's dynamics at play here that that wheel's not stopping. Are you guys addressing some of that stuff? So maybe I can start on that one. Are we, are we concerned? No, I'd say that we, uh, we know that it is, it's there. So we're investing a lot of time in looking at who we can promote within the company. And what we we're doing now is we're building what we call carrot path. So we're trying to more and more to move employees in different jobs, which by the way, years ago, I'm a product of moving around and doing different things. I think I saw, so Mike did the same thing for, for a period of time, we stopped doing that. And so we're getting back to offer people that want to grow in the company to move them around and give them different experience. So when 
jobs are going to be open and they're going to have the experience. 90% of the people that we promoted from the internal are very successful in the organization. People that we're bringing from the outside, it takes a long time, sometimes doesn't adapt to the culture. I'm not saying that everybody coming from the outside are not good, but we need to promote our people and it requires planning. It requires also to put the effort into it. And we talked about the new people that are coming in the organization today, the new generation. One thing is they don't want to do the same job for the next 5, 10, 15 or 20 years. So as an organization, we need to understand again what drives the new people coming and joining the organization and see what we can do to create the environment where they can do different things and find what they're looking for within the same company. And I see some people here would say, maybe Peter would say, uh, yeah, but how can you do this in a small organization or smaller plant? It can be done. The same thing can apply. You can do customer service and then you can do shipping and you can move people around, put a plan together, structure it, and, and uh, you're going to get people that are going to be able to do more in the organization. I'm glad you said that because I was, I wanted to put a fine point on it as an independent, you know, it's like you guys are a big company. You could make five people do that. And that's really not the point. They right? That book is from the couch to a 5k. It's exactly what that development programming is. It's nobody's asking you to take young talent and tomorrow they can be a general manager, but one hour a week, some lunch and learn, some yep. format to just get knowledge out in the open and communicated and documented drives talent regardless of the size of your organization. And I think that's, a, I'm glad you pointed that out. It, it can be done. What's your level of discipline and commitment to do that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, that's a great point yeah. though discipline and commitment sure is commitment we've talked about personal development plans at kruger but are we living it i realize now after doing this job for 10 years my job is strategy and people yeah the people are going to do the rest my job is to work with my team to make sure we have the great strategy and as nelson mandela said when facts change i change my mind so we have to have that agility to recognize change especially Nowadays, it's a great time to be budgeting because everyone can predict what's going to happen. <laughs> but so we're making sure that I hold myself, my team holds me, and they, we hold each other accountable to to have those personal development plan with rigor. Yeah. And it's not just about read this book. It's how are we exhibiting the behavior to make sure that we're living it and that they're living it. People, everyone likes to be invested in because that's, it's trust, it's belief. Sure. Someone said to me and a couple of us, what if you invest in your people and they leave? And he said, what if you don't invest in your people they will. and they stay? <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. It's very true. So it, you have to overinvest to retain. You're going to lose a few, but if you treat the, the highest talent with the right amount of respect, opportunity, and feedback, conversation... By the way, communication is a conversation, not a speech. Yeah. And if we do that better, I think we're going to be better. That's and then on the hourly, I'm worried. We're all worried about knowledge transfer. So we're trying to leverage technology more and more. We're using augmented reality as part of toolkit. We're using iPads. People learn the younger generation, which is pretty well most people versus us. So the younger generation learn in different ways than we did. They don't read an instruction manual. Yeah. They go on YouTube and watch the video on how to install such and such. So we have to make sure that our learning management solutions follow. We have 
we recognize that people want to learn in all different ways and we have to adapt. It's like sales 101. It's not about me. It's about you. Yeah. How can we help you be successful? This is how when you're successful, we're successful. So let's make sure we're doing the right things. One kind of final on just this training and these things in your business and that discipline is one of my favorite little anecdotes. A guy sees this old timer on a porch and there's a dog laying next to him and the dog's whining and they're just carrying on a conversation. And finally he says, why does your dog keep whining? And he says, he's sitting on a nail. And he says, why doesn't he move? Because it doesn't hurt enough yet. So that's how training becomes. We usually start training the minute that important person walks out the door and it's, oh crap. And now it's going. Yeah. So yeah, think, that's a really important piece. You know, not to cut you off, Gino, but uh, just to pivot in the interest of time here, because both of you talked real heavily in the intros about sustainability. So I want to make, yeah. maybe give them a, a little bit of time here Thank to you. talk on that. But I think everybody in the room, ultimately, we all agree that sustainability is a big issue. First question I want to ask though is how do those near term macroeconomic impacts of decarbonization policies or the sustainability push, do those influence decisions or do you guys just keep the long-term goal in, in your mind of we need to be more green and we need to get there regardless of the cost? I think it's a good kick in the butt, frankly. It's good business, by the way. For, for me, sustainability, the three Ps, people, planet, and profit, and it has to be all three together or else it doesn't work. It won't be sustainable if you're not profitable. If you speak with our FEFCO colleagues in Europe, we have a lot to learn from the Europeans. It's legislated so what are we doing to be ahead of the legislation curve? Because it's smart. So leverage what's out there. Biomass boilers, an example, like your different opportunities and substitution of fuel sources. So we've reduced our carbon footprint in our business and the packaging business by 30% in terms of intensity since 2018. We have to understand where we are, where we're going. We don't necessarily have to understand how we're going to get there. Technology, because of business, when business needs X, technology accelerates to satisfy those needs. So I think we have to be bold. We have to go net zero 2050. So what are we going to do? So we're in a process now at Kruger of understanding where we are telling ourselves and our stakeholders where we're going to be by 2030. And my view is we're going to have to be very aggressive because it's smart and it's the right thing to do. And as I, I said at another conference, People won't work for a company that they're not proud of. So let's make sure that we're a proud company and a company which people would be proud to be a part of. So the, all the question about profitability or is it profitable or not, the problem we have today is how do you measure the impact of not doing it? So if we keep doing the same thing as what we're doing today, the planet is not going in the right direction. And I think everybody that has common sense, they know about that, whether it's because of the storm, because there's no more water, name it. There's a list of things that are happening in the world today that's proving that if we don't do enough, we will keep going in the wrong direction. So I think that the first thing to do is to educate the, the people in the organization, the people that are making the decision to, when they make the decision, one of the criteria has to be, is it good for the environment? And so what we've done in Cascade over the first plan that we did really aggressive plan on reducing water, energy, uh, also the uh, gas emission, we started in 2015. So it's publicly announced that people can go on the web and they can see what we're doing and things like that. But even today, uh, we're going to launch the new plan. So it's a third plan that we put together 
and it's to- totally different than what we had before because, of, like you said, today the technology is helping. We have evolved also on learning how to do more with less. But what we've done, the small things that makes a difference. So everybody that comes to for a project in Cascade today, there's a liner there that says, is it good for the environment? It's there. Now, are we going to take the right or the wrong decision? That's for us, but it's there. So people have to look at that and fill up when they do the justification for a project. They have to fill that up. So again, it's a process. When I see Canada and then they shoot a number and they say, we're going to do this by 2030, 2035, and really look at what really we did, what gesture we, we did, nothing. So we need to start doing something in our plants. We have paper mills and we have converting facility. So in the converting facility, the reflex is always, uh, we're not using a lot of energy. And then, so it's not there. It's not going to make a big difference, but it makes a difference. You start from there. Yes, you can do in the work in the paper mill and then you have a bigger impact. But in our plants today, when you walk in a plant and you hear when the equipment is not running, this is energy. It means that your pumps are still on, that the, there's an air leak. The water, the guys that are washing the, uh, the press, why is the, the hose still uh, running when they finish? All the little things like that, you need to start to educate the people and they understand that if they start doing something there, it's going to make a difference. Transportation is one that we spend a lot of time also. Load utilization. Go from 90% to 98%. It's 8% less impact on the environment and gas that you're going to put in the air. All the little gesture that you do will have an impact. And I totally agree with just Mike. Mike said is people don't want to be part of a company that is not good for the environment. And I'm the same, by the way. Me too. I'm committed to, to improve. And I want to repeat it just to make sure people understand if we keep doing the same thing, we're not going in the right direction. So you have to start acting. It's already too late but we can do things to to improve. Quebec's part of the cap and trade system. So we have carbon tax, carbon credit, which helps speed up the process of the profit element because we have clarity and we can access funds from the green fund or from IFIT and the Fed level to help the ROI be compelling just from a strictly economic near-term perspective. So that's actually been a great catalyst at Kruger. I think I hear you talk about culture in every one of these economic issues, hiring issues, sustainability issues. You've mentioned culture in every single thing that we've talked about. I think it's incredible to hear you guys talk about that in every facet of your organization. I think Buffett's partner, Charlie Munger, I think he's the one who quoted culture eat strategy for breakfast. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's telling. One of the things we asked on the podcast from a lot of our guests and is just... Just, uh, are we... How yep. much time are we keeping people from the bar? We got anywhere between five minutes and five hours. What do you, what do you, no, I'm just, I see John so, twitching. So I'm just there. kidding. So Mike, you take care of your people, eh? Um, just, bar and then after this, that. This will be just a quick wrap up question. I'm glad you did that. Actually, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm starting to sweat. We, we ask a lot of times of just one or two people in your career that, that really made an impact on you and molded your leadership style and what that style has become. We're always intrigued by that because a fish thinks at the head, right? And how have you created your own style over the years and who had an influence in that sort of thing? Everyone, but my father had a big influence on it. Yeah. The way he taught everyone's important, speak to everyone 
like they're important. I speak to our owner like he's important, but he's no more important to fifth hand on the paper machine when I'm speaking with him. That's pretty basic, but I think a lot of people lose sight of that. My father said, no matter how important you think you are, just remember that Kennedy was shot and replaced in one hour. Yeah. You're not that important. Yeah. So don't get ahead of yourself. I learn every day from, from my team through the mistakes that I make and when they kick me in the butt and say, why the hell do you do that? You moron. And that's the relationship I have with my team. I believe in candor. I used to play hockey, but now I'm old, fat, and slow. But I believed in fighting in practice and they're probably saying, yeah, you do. So I really believe that you get creative if you challenge people to challenge you to be better every day. Our owner has inspired me. He's very successful, very wealthy, 77 year old, tough son of a gun. I cleaned it up just in case. (laughs) But he cares about people. Like when we've had to shut mills down, it is, it takes a part of his soul out. And I love that that he cares about his people. I tell you what, talk about people moving between our, Louis Sabrain. Louis Sabrain, I remember, said, Mike, You've got a great career. He says, what do you want to do? And he says, before you answer, your answer should be, whatever you do next, you want to be ready to be great at it. Don't rush. Learn what you can from everyone. So I take that. I learned from my wife. I learned from my kids. My wife always tells me, you're not important. You know, you're important here. Your business life is meaningful for you and make it meaningful for those around you. But don't ever forget what's most important should be us, that you talk about it. And again, I spoke at breakfast this morning. I didn't always live it. Getting better, I think. And that's another term that I like to use, be better. Because my personal book, if I were to write one, would be the best is yet to come. So it's there's always opportunity to be better. And you need, again, Mandela, we're, we're in a leadership development thing yeah. with uh, my direct reports. And so I actually presented yesterday on Mandela and Mandela said, I'm, I don't win or lose. I either win or learn. Yeah. And like take that. So th- there's so many inspirations around us. We should just uh, be inspired by those opportunities to learn. That's- my book is going to be old, slow, and fat. That's the title. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Hey, thank you very much. I've already read it. <laughs> thank you. Charles, how about you? Good player to have on the other team though. So you guys can play. Uh, <laughs> it does like a fight. I like the slow. I like the slow and uh, so that's pretty good. (laughs) This is very tough to go after Mike when you ask a question like that, because uh, I don't want to sound cliche, but family first, I come from a family, four kids. My dad was working on shift for a company. So he was rotating all the time. We learned early when I started, my brother and I, we had one room, my two sisters, they had another room and we stayed like that until we were. 14 years old at that time we had enough money to build another room in the basement i guess that that gave me the humility that uh, you are in the company and i'm the president today of a a big corporation lots of employees colleagues that uh, but i've never forgot that everybody is different everybody contributes and we're all in the in in the same uh, the same boat when it comes to basic in life so that for me is the first part when you talk about leadership and the way that you deal with people. This is where it started. Family, still today, we have very close. My sister, my my brother, and my parents are still alive. Thank you. So this is where I'd say that the basic came came from. My parents, they had one 
One goal is to provide for us first basic education. And then after that, you guys are, you do what you do with your life. And they done very well on that side for all the family. And so when it comes to work, I can't do anything different than who I am. So humility, listen to the people and small things make the difference. And I'm going to use that again. When you walk uh, in the corridor, corridor, you talk to a person and say, how are you? But you just keep walking. That's probably 90% of the people. That's what they do. So when you care and when, when you care is you stop and then you ask the second question, how's your family? How's work? But don't say, how are you? And then walk because that's probably the worst thing that you're going to do. So the leadership for me is the little details that the way that you act make, make a difference. And the team, and you can ask, there's a lot of people here in the, in the, in the room, but be who you are. You can improve, you can learn from other people, but you have to be who you are because people can see this if you become somebody else just because you want to show up or something like that. And that I've learned from Bernard Lemaire and the brothers. When you walk in the facility still today, even though they're worth millions and millions of dollars, like Joseph, for instance, Joseph Kruger, when they walk in a plan, the first thing they do is they don't want to talk about the strategy or the plan or things like that. They want to go on the floor. They want to show up. They want to talk to the employees and, uh, and they want to talk about the, what, what people are doing. And I think this is also very important uh, that we keep doing that in the organization. So when we talk about the culture, you have to invest and commit in the culture of the company. And it starts with the leaders in, 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 in the team. Really believe that uh, one of our value in the company, one, one, one is very important is respect, respectful by nature, we call. And there's another one that we say that we are stronger together. And there's a lot of reason why we do this is one person can do a lot, but there's no limit to what we can do when we're together. This is something that, uh, again, uh, we're the ambassador of that in the, in the company. And then you start by acting if you want other people to follow. So it's great. I think you say we're better together. That's the theme of the day today. I think that's probably a good place to, to end this and sprint to the bar. It's been an absolute honor to share a stage with you guys and hear your story. Likewise. Likewise. Uh, you're always welcome to join the podcast to go deeper. Huge ratings, I'm sure. But again, this is wonderful. Thank you guys both for doing this. If we could give them a round of applause. Yeah. Appreciate it. Breaking Down Boxes. New shows will drop the first Monday of every month. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.